kick is blocked. Appalachian State has stunned the college football world. One of the greatest upsets in sports history. Swinging. There's a drive into left center field. That ball is going to be out of here. It's gone. It's 7-15. There's a new home run champion of all time, and it's Henry Aaron. Wittenberg. Oh, that's a long The Cardiac Kids, North Carolina State, has captured their second NCAA championship. The countdown going on right now. Morrow up to Schultz. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! The great games of history and the voices who made them come alive. This is Behind the Mic with Doug Rice. Always fun to come at you and talk with uh, broadcasters, whether they be career-long veterans or aspiring young broadcasters. And this edition of Behind the Mic on PRN, we are going to feature uh, identical twin brothers, Chris and Stephen Carey, and they are going to be talking about their aspiring careers as they are sharing the mic, doing the play-by-play for the Amarillo Sod poodles the amarillo sod poodles guys first of all thank you so much for making time i appreciate it thank you so much for having us yeah thanks so much this is a lot of fun and it seems super exciting so we're, we're really really lucky to hop on with you all right so let's i got what what the heck's a sod poodle well it's a prairie dog it's a colloquial term for a prairie dog in west texas so it's uh it's definitely a bit of an interesting name but we've grown to really love it and the people in our community love it as well well, that, that seems to be a big factor with minor league baseball. I know we have not far from where I'm stationed, the Hickory Crawdads. And it seems like the more outrageous the name, the more stuff you sell and the more attention you get. Yeah, I mean, there, there's no shortage of excitement with the Sobpoodles fans. I mean, we routinely sell out in the stadium and attendance is fantastic. Merchandising, I think they made like $5 million on merchandise last year and they're set to make even more. So the Sobpoodle brand is is growing exponentially. And I think it has in part due to the name, but also a big part of where we are in Amarillo, Texas. It's the only game in town. And I think people love that and they grapple onto that during the summers. And it's been an absolute joy to be able to ride this ride with Stefan and the Saab Poodle faithful all season. All right, Stefan and Chris, before we get into your story in particular, I'm kind of always been intrigued by minor league baseball in general. Uh, what's the closest town to Amarillo where you go play and then what's what's a road trip like and are you on the bus and are you sharing bunking up and sharing hotel rooms what's that whole experience like well we're kind of in it right now so um <laughs> we're in the midst of a two-week road trip which we have two a year one in the first half one in the second half and you're on the team bus I'm assuming on the team bus on the team bus and and uh, it, I, as we're conducting this we're doing this as a zoom call it looks like you guys are hanging out in the hotel room, I'm assuming, getting ready to go to a game this evening. Yes, we are. Yeah, no, we, we, we've had our, had our workouts in today, uh, tried to get a little bit of a lunch instead, just stomach some protein shakes and some fruit <laughs> from the local grocery store because everything basically has to be walking distance because I think we're the only team in the minor leagues 
with a bus that has Amarillo Sopitals draped all over it. I mean, we're all about the image of the team and, and the identity of the organization. And I think that that might draw a little bit of suspicion if we start driving miles and miles away from the stadium. So usually everything's pretty close, but when you get on a 13 hour bus ride to Corpus Christi, there's nothing like sprawling out and your body is contorted in so many different ways that you never imagined that they would be. And you see guys in the back that are future big leaguers that are building makeshift cots out of blankets with pillows. I mean, these guys are architects, they're geniuses, they are engineers in so many different ways when they're on the bus. And, uh, you know, we, we got to give them credit. It's been a lot of fun to witness that. Usually we're at the front of the bus and they're in the back. So we don't try to bother them there because we, we do so much already in our day job. But uh, they're really great guys. And, and riding the bus is, is one, of the, one of the high points of this job, I'd say. It definitely is. I think the one thing I've really learned, especially on road trips, is how to lay out on two sets of seats and avoid the belt buckles so that they're not digging yeah. into the side. But that's that's one of the major things we've definitely taken away from this season. It's been really cool. And you guys are both tall. You're like six four, aren't you? Yeah, all steroids. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, our dad's six foot six. Um, our mom's five ten. My sister's six feet tall. Definitely have some uh, some tall genes in our family tree. All right. Uh, how much how much prep? Because I know when you cover a team, I'm I'm sure you know the sod poodles up one side and down the other. How much how much information are you given for the opposing teams? Like who who are who are you playing after we get done with this podcast? We're we're playing the Midland Rockhounds. So what we'll do, we'll just outline our day before we get to the stadium is we'll wake up at around six thirty or seven o'clock in the morning, get a quick workout, then come to our hotel room wherever it is and write in our scorebook with prep. In fact, we actually have it right here if you want to just take a look. I know sure. this is on video, but so we'll outline, basically, we'll fill these little boxes here with information about our team and then flip on the other side their team and the pitching matchups and all that stuff. All in all, that takes about an hour, an hour and 20 minutes. And then when we get to, get to the ballpark, that's when the real prep begins. I think we do another probably two hours because we're just there. I mean, we get on the team bus typically if it's not walking distance to get to the ballpark. And we're there for five hours before the game starts. So a lot of it is researching on the athletic and mlb.com and looking at what our affiliate teams are doing whether it's triple a reno or high a hillsborough even down to visalia and discovering what's going on with our team as well as theirs because they've had a few major cosmetic changes in their team where they've gotten i think yesterday seven out of their 10 starters with the dh included our top 30 prospects in the athletics organization. And that type of stuff is really, really cool. And it's really telling about how they've been playing because they're the first in our division. So there is a lot of prep that goes into it. And it's more so for the other team because we know our guys so well. I think the prep for us when it comes to talking to our guys is going down to the BP cage or going to the clubhouse and making sure everybody's okay and seeing if we can find anything new about adjustments made. And you, typically they're very uh, forthcoming about that. Yeah, I think it's uh, – you kind of learn your players' tendencies. So you don't as much need to do a ton of prep on them beyond the surface level stuff. And what I will say is in this job, we're fortunate. We're so beyond fortunate and blessed to be where we are because usually in the minor leagues, the broadcaster handles the PR, the game notes, everything. The sod poodles have what we like to call a brain trust, um, an army, if you will, of people that, that do those jobs. We have our own PR person that does the game notes. We have a communications coordinator that digs up incredibly useful um, in sort of these niche stats that have helped us out a lot. But 
um, the last thing that I ever want to do is have an empty scorebook when I head to the ballpark because I want to be able to conduct my own research. And with all the blessings that we've been given by having this job, we still want to make sure that we're going out and doing our due diligence in terms of prep and research. Do both of you score the game as it goes on? Yes, yes. You ever conflict with each other? You ever go back? That was K. No, no. Uh, I mean, you know, sometimes I think that just the way the game is played, there's still a lot of learning um, in the way that the that the game and the official scoring goes, because, you know, we'll be on the air and we'll say, hey, that'll be a base hit. And for some reason, a, a ball that's hit 114 off the bat that clips somebody's glove is an error. And sometimes you have to, you know, reset and rewind and sometimes we'll disagree hey that was for sure an error hey that was a base hit i think more and more it has been figuring out each other's tendencies and ideas about how the season is progressing because at one point i remember in the first half we were talking about amarillo who didn't win the first half of the playoff hopes and going into the second half I said something about them needing to address what they needed to do to become a better team, which meant maybe bringing new guys up and younger guys. And stuff's like, I, I disagree. And somehow as the season progressed, it was kind of in the middle of both of our thoughts. So that's been really cool is getting his perspective and also giving mine to where we're not exactly the same. All right. Both of you have attended college, Chris Valdosta state, uh, Stefan at Wingate university, not far from, Concord, North Carolina here. What's, what's the plan there? Have, where, where are you in that progression or has that been put in the back seat of the bus? Well, we actually finished at the university of Georgia. So I, okay, so you're done for a year and a half. I have, I think nine more credit hours left. Okay. So I left this, this spring halfway through my spring semester, um, completed all of my classes in the spring. I had a couple more after transferring from Wingate, Georgia didn't accept some of my credits, but I digress from that point, uh, <laughs> but uh, we we still have, I think I still have nine more credit hours left to do, so I'll get to those at some point, but uh, as my parents said, and as my teacher said that we're within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication, they said, take the job, uh, take the job. They don't come around often, especially not for people your age, so that's what we've done. We focused on our craft and really have learned a lot this year. Um, I love my time at Wingate. I had uh, some great friends that I that I met that lived in Concord, by the way. So I didn't realize that's where you guys were uh, were broadcasting from. Uh, big big racing town, from what I understand. Canapolis in the area. Uh, what was it? Uh, Dale Dale Earnhardt. Well, we have there. Dale Earnhardt Boulevard is okay. about three miles from here, and of course our studios that uh, that I'm working out of today are here at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. Uh, oh, wow. Performance Racing Network broadcast a third of all the NASCAR Cup Series races. That that's that's my real world job, my fun job. I get to do and and hang out on the podcast. So before we get into the family story, where were you guys and how did you celebrate the the, the natty that you guys won? Oh, that's a great question. We haven't been asked this one before. We were actually in Athens, so. Um, the natty was happening. We knew we weren't going to go to Indianapolis. We knew we probably wanted to see what a national championship in our college town looked like. And we were at a bar called Paloma Park with uh, one of our closest friends, Jack Sedegan, who's actually the number two voice of the Mississippi Braves. So all three of us had ended up in double A somehow, some way people decided to give us a job, which we're still counting our blessings about. And it was insane. Once they won, drinks were flying everywhere. Everyone was celebrating. At one point, they flooded the streets of downtown Athens, Thomas Street, straight down the middle. They're throwing traffic cones, stealing them, 
so much so that the police had to say, bring your traffic cones back. We will not charge you, but we do need them because a lot of construction's happening downtown. So there was a lot going on. Yeah, let's just say when, when you have, in my opinion, the greatest college town in America, 82 bars in one square mile, the most bars per capita in the United States, and Georgia wins its first national championship in 41 years. I mean, I think some debauchery is bound to happen. And it was really, really a fun night. We had a blast. Um, it was one of the nights that I'll never forget. Wasn't there a point it, during the championship downtown where like 11 kids climbed on top of a CBS 46 vehicle that was filming the celebration? They commandeered it and jumped on it so much that the, the vehicle actually caved in on itself from the top. I mean, it was crazy. At that point, I was like, okay, I've seen enough. I need to go home yeah. and make sure I get home safe. But it was uh, magical. And, and, you know, the World Series happening before that. I mean, what could you ask for for your senior year more than that? that? That's pretty good. That's more than most fans from the state of Georgia have enjoyed in their lifetime. That was a good that was a good six months run, a Braves World Series and then a national championship for Georgia. As we yeah. talked about, you guys are fourth generation. I know you get this all the time. I did have the pleasure of getting up to the television booth and uh, chatting with your dad. He's also been a guest on this show. So I'm, I'm familiar with the Carey legacy, but I'm, I'm interested how you two, at age 22, sharing time, being the voices for the Amarillo Sod Poodles, want to differentiate and, and carve your own path and, and, and stake your own identity. Because that's, that's big shadows. In, in the racing world, uh, Kyle Petty's a good friend of mine, and he can tell you all day long, I will never, I will never be Richard Petty, but I can be the best Kyle Petty I can be how how did where does your stream differ from the family right now well I'll start it with the first factor that we had uh, being 22 years old coming into this field coming to double it doesn't happen it doesn't happen with broadcasting um, and my my answer to this has always been when you come from a background like we do the last thing that anyone wants to hear is that you worked so hard without any help um, we know that our last name was a factor in us getting hired. Um, at the beginning, we were very apologetic about it. Um, the whole nepotism thing was, was problematic. Uh, we were getting tons of tweets at us that we didn't deserve this and there were more deserving people. Um, and that really put a damper on the experience to begin with. Um, articles came out in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, the Athens Banner Herald, The Athletic. Um, we were on WGN. And the more publicity that came, the more scrutiny we were almost under. Um, and... I think that because of social media, because of getting this job and social media being there, people felt the need that we were people that grew up with a silver spoon in our mouths and that our dad had anything to do with the involvement of uh, us getting this job when really it, it happened by chance. Um, trying to differentiate, the thing that we're most excited about isn't even being fourth generation broadcasters. I understand that that's the first thing that people are, uh, are excited about. We're excited about being the first identical twins to share a professional broadcasting booth together. That's never been done before. And it almost gets overlooked because of our last name. And we're, we're extremely proud, incredibly proud to be from the background that we're from. Don't, don't mistake that at all. But we were always taught, look, you're going to have certain advantages that other people aren't going to have. But don't apologize for them. Recognize that they're there and work twice as hard to get half the credit. Um, and I think that it, it kind of developed a chip on our shoulders, whether we really needed one to be there or not to go and be our own men and try and do things differently. We're getting compared to, to our dad and, and Skip and Harry already, well, which of course. In, is a compliment 
in some ways it's a compliment because of where they've been able to go. But in other ways, it's really difficult to try and fill those shoes because of how long they've been doing it. Look, we're 22 years old. I've been doing this since my freshman, sophomore year of college. Chris has been doing it a little bit longer. We still have a ways to go before we're even close to my dad or Harry or Skip. Um, and hopefully we get to where they got. But right now we're just really, uh, we're, we're enjoying it down to the bone marrow. Of, of every bit of double-A baseball and trying to grow every single day to get us to that point. How much opportunity do you have to, to review what you're doing and go back and listening and self-critique and critique each other? Oh, we're very, very critical on each other. I mean, it is. <laughs> That's I mean, not I, what I ask. <laughs> of course you are. You're brothers, but. <laughs> um, how much opportunity? I, I listen back pretty often. I'll go to the beginning of the week's broadcast. So we have. Tuesday through Sunday. So it's six game series here so at the end of the week when we're on the bus heading on the road, I'll, I'll listen to an inning and say, Hey, I like this part. Hey, I don't like this part. And I'll also listen to other people and my peers in the Texas league that are a little older, a little bit more polished. I mean, we're the youngest guys and the, and the babies of the league now in terms of age. And I think that being open to the criticism, especially from whether it's my brother or the other people in the league is very, very important. Um, you know, with, with our dad, it has never been uh, critiqued. He's always been like, I'm not going to get my hand involved in it because if I start critiquing you and molding you into what I think you should be, you're going to turn into Chip Carey 2.0. And as you mentioned before, um, you know, nobody needs another Chip Carey. They need Chris and Stephen Carey. Oh, well, maybe they don't need it, but th that's what we need the world to need, which is us. And, um, you know, we've been, we've been working at this for a while in college, but these people, like you said, have been working for years and years and years at their craft, and we're just scratching the surface. You've got the rest of this year. Will do you you foresee being back next year and and continuing to hone on this? Because the beautiful thing about baseball is the sheer number of games you get to do. Yeah, it's beautiful in some ways and not so beautiful in others. Um, it's a grind, uh, and I, I don't think we really had fully anticipated that we were on the Cape last year, and forty four games felt like a grind. Um, now we're already around we're game one hundred and ten one hundred and ten today. So. Um, it is beautiful. It really provides a lot of opportunity for you to grow and to improve your talent and to see a massive difference between game one and game 100, game one, game 50. Um, and that's how we're looking at it, taking baby steps, uh, trying to be incrementalists, improve at small facets of our game, just like these guys that are going and hitting in the cages every single day. As to being back next year, that's uh, that's an answer that that Tony Enzer would better provide. We didn't sign any contract. In fact, I think Tony told us he's never written a contract for a broadcaster in his career. And I think I, I really value that so much. He's a man of his word. He's a man of his bond. Uh, we shook his hand. And I think his intention is have us as long as it takes to get to the major leagues. Uh, we hope that we get to the big league soon. And I know he he's rooting for that um, as well. Um, but if it's us till we have gray beards and, and canes and we're still in soft poodles uniforms, we're comfortable with that. But I think our ultimate goal, just like anyone else's in this game, is to try and make it up to the big leagues and uh, and accomplish that dream. But we're in a great spot in a a uh, major league environment on a minor league scale. Is so there a, is there a sod poodle right now that's going to be in the show one day? Uh, well, there there was. I mean, I, I still think there are plenty of them that are that are going to prove themselves. 
We have the number three prospect in all the Diamondbacks organization, Blake Walston, with us. We just lost Brandon Fott, who has jumped into the top 100. And then we had the number two overall prospect in baseball, Corbin Carroll, who is going to be a $200 to $300 million man uh, by the time it's all said and done. He is far and away probably the best player I've ever seen. Quite, quite, a, uh, quite a range. 200 million, to, sorry. $200 to <laughs> $300 million. I mean, you can't really go wrong with that. Right. Somewhere with, with the way the baseball players are – are paid, but I think Corbin's been one of the most impressive players we've seen all year long. He's in AAA. The guy was at the Futures game. Um, there are a lot of players on our team right now that look like they have potential major league careers. With the Diamondbacks organization, you take a look at where the need is the most. I think pitching, I think maybe infield a little bit more. There's so many outfielders in our system. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see the Diamondbacks being a little bit aggressive in the offseason, maybe trying to find a talented veteran arm. And by veteran, I mean somewhere on the 28, 29, 30 year old range to bolster their rotation because there are so many talented outfielders that are available there or just try and get a mainstay ready player right now. Um, but that's the cool part about having a team that's um, within the number four farm system in baseball. You're going to see a lot of the talent and double A is really a proving ground. It is where the prospects are. It's where guys are going to learn or figure out whether they have major league caliber or not. And we see that every single day. Um, there's certainly a lack of consistency from game to game. But when you see a guy hitting 350 in the Texas League versus the type of pitching that we have in the affiliates that we have, I mean, we have the Dodgers, the Twins, we have the San Diego Padres, the Rangers, the Diamondbacks. We have lots of really talented major league clubs with good farm systems that we're going head to head against every single day. Um, and even within the division, too, you can start to see with the Dodgers, the Padres and the Diamondbacks how the NL West is going to look in five years. And that's, that's something that's really exciting is we're getting to see it firsthand, not to mention all the history that we get to see being made just like last week. Well, guys, it sounds like you're having a wonderful time. You're 22 years old. You've got a, a vast future. I can tell by your banter. Both of you have what it takes to uh, sit behind the microphone for an extended period of time. Thanks a lot for sharing your story with us. Good luck. Good luck to the sod poodles. Hope, hopefully the second half uh, they can get, Get their share of the championship. Yeah, we sure hope so. And, and thank you so much for having us on. And thank you for constantly being so kind to now us and our entire family. We really appreciate it. Best of luck going forward. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much, gentlemen. By the way, next week on Behind the Mic, Dan Rusinowski. Dan is the only play-by-play voice ever for the San Jose Sharks. And it's going to be the first time that we have talked to the hockey play-by-play person. So Dan will join us on our next edition PRN's Behind the Mic.